Hello, folks. We're down the line once again from Boston tonight with political author, analyst, and historian Dr. James D. Boyce. I'm Michael L. Roberts. This is the American Chronicle. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. China has total respect for Donald Trump and for Donald Trump's very, very large brain. What is the evidence that it has a preventative effect? Here we go, you ready? Here's my evidence. I get a lot of positive calls about it. Nobody knew that healthcare could be so complicated. Vaccine or no vaccine, we're back. In a slight alteration to our regular broadcasting, it's Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020, and with thanks as ever for your support for this series, we continue to ride the waves of air on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Anchor FM, and all across the digital podsphere. Tonight, James considers the first Trump rally since the COVID-19 outbreak triggered a global lockdown. The allegations in former National Security Advisor John Bolton's new book, the room where it happened, the history of presidential-based books written by former politicians, and the extent to which the Democrats may or may not utilize the latest revelations in their efforts to replace Trump with Biden. I began then by asking James for his analysis of that which he came to describe in pre-interview as Trump's tussle in Tulsa. Donald Trump is someone who had very much planned to make these large mega rallies the center of his re-election campaign heading into November. He's been prevented from doing so, of course, because of the coronavirus. Uh, Now, however, the White House has decided that come hell or high water, these events are going to continue. And for the last week or so, he and his team had been uh, trumpeting, no pun intended, uh, the idea that there would be millions of people who were seeking to get access to a 19,000-seat arena to see President Trump speak. Uh, Those claims were blown clean out of the water this week uh, when it appeared that indeed perhaps only some 6,000 people showed up uh, to what was a lightly attended presidential rally. Uh, So underwhelming was it, in fact, that an outside stage which had been set up at which President Trump was expected to address an overflow crowd was quickly uh, uh, discarded, uh, disassembled, uh, when it discovered that perhaps only 250 people uh, were waiting to hear what it was that the president had to say. Very clearly, this has embarrassed the White House, and we are already hearing talk perhaps of a shake-up at the campaign headquarters moving forward uh, in such a shambles, is it believed, uh, that the president's re-election campaign is uh, following this event in Tulsa. Uh, They are already planning uh, further events, uh, but quite frankly, at this point, uh, they are um, changing uh, the situation whereby tickets are being uh, allocated in an attempt to prevent uh, what was seen uh, from the White House point of view as a sabotage of this event. So Mm. uh, keep your eyes peeled. Uh, There will be more of these events, uh, and uh, certainly the White House is going to be doing everything it can uh, to control uh, the attendance and the visuals coming out of it. Yeah, speaking of the visuals there, sabotage or otherwise, you and I have both covered the extent to which Donald Trump is uh, 
primarily concerned on, on, on a global scale with the visual rhetoric of his appearance on screen. When we see the footage of the uh, what's being described in in base level terms as a sort of walk of shame uh, back from the from the rally, how how did Donald Trump allow himself to get into a position where uh, makeup on the collar, uh, uh, tie, tie loose, collar loose, and deflated, walking and waving to cameras at the end of this rally? All presidencies throughout history are remembered uh, for both what a president says as well as what they do, as well as visuals. This is the United States. It's a nation which prides itself in many ways upon its visuals as a form of communication. And we can think perhaps of past presidents and the imagery which has emerged, which has helped to define their term in office. Donald Trump, the consummate showman uh, across the years, has excelled at this. Uh, the imagery many people hold of him descending his golden uh, staircase as he uh, came to announce his presidential aspirations, for example. Well, one of the images which I think many people are going to hold dear uh, <laughs> is the image of Donald Trump slouching across the south lawn of the White House, uh, having uh, uh, just got off Marine One, uh, walking towards the White House in what can only be described as a, a disheveled uh, image. I, mm. I thought he looked as though someone who'd been up too late at the tables in Las Vegas <laughs> and had perhaps not done as well as expected, uh, walking slowly away, uh, ruminating upon his uh, uh, poor choice uh, of bets, uh, his tie undone, as you rightly point out, his collar undone. Uh, this is not a presidential image. And remembering, of course, the tirade of abuse which Barack Obama received for simply wearing a light summer suit uh, in the briefing room of the White House during his term in office. Indeed. Uh, it, it really is remarkable that uh, the Republicans who were so quick to uh, attack Barack Obama for having the temerity to wear a, a color suit that they did not approve of uh, have not uh, decided to rebuke their own president uh, for his own uh, sartorial choices, shall we say, at this point. Um, it's a lasting image. It's an image which is already being mocked uh, widely on the, the internet, the Lincoln Project, which is being run, of course, by George Conway. Uh, I mentioned his wife is Karen, Kellyanne Conway, the mm. president's mm. advisor, has already uh, put up a, a, an amusing video with regard to this, which I uh, suggest all uh, all listeners have a look at, uh, suggesting uh, in the words of uh, uh, the uh, chaos mathematician from uh, Jurassic Park that simply because the Donald Trump campaign could do something, uh, <laughs> perhaps they should have thought about whether they should have done something. And uh, you can draw your own conclusions as to what it is that the Lincoln Project, I believe the answer to that is. <laughs> Set to uh, John Williams' magnificent score for Indeed. said dinosaur-based motion picture. Uh, the other element of presidential image, of course, is the opinion of those closest to him uh, in on his team and otherwise. Uh, and this week we see the release of John Bolton's book, The Room Where It Happened. For the uninitiated, James, who is John Bolton and why should we pay attention to him? John Bolton has long been a hawkish member of the Republican foreign policy elite. 
um, perhaps uh, somewhat on the periphery of that group. Um, his views have ensured that he has uh, struggled to be nominated for the highest uh, offices within the US uh, national security architecture. Uh, back under George W. Bush, uh, he was uh, nominated uh, during a recess appointment uh, to be ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, now he uh, has previously now just served uh, as Donald Trump's national security advisor. Uh, both uh, positions are important because uh, in neither case did he require uh, Senate confirmation for those positions. Mm. Um, the recess appointment was done deliberately to get around that process and the national security advisor uh, is never subject to uh, Senate confirmation. This is because uh, John Bolton's views are seen to be uh, so far out to the right, uh, quite frankly, that even moderate Republicans uh, would not approve of his uh, nomination to, uh, say, Secretary of State, for example, or Secretary right. of Defense. He is known to be a hawk, someone who has advocated bombing uh, foreign nations uh, uh, on a regular basis. Uh, and, of course, now he has published his book, In the Room Where It Happened, a reference to the Hamilton uh, musical, which has taken the world by storm. <laughs> and um, certainly the excerpts from it uh, so far make interesting reading uh, for anybody who is following the Trump campaign uh, for re-election. Ideologically there, you mentioned that uh, Bolton was ambassador to the UN, and uh, I understand it that he was an ambassador to the UN that was not a fan of the UN, which has something of the air of uh, Steve Bannon about it, uh, Trump's former advisor. Uh, is that ideological bent how Bolton came to share the table with the president? What is interesting about both Donald Trump and, uh, in this case, uh, Ambassador Bolton, is the role of Fox News in their rise to power. Mm. I think many people are familiar with the way in which Donald Trump made uh, regular use of Fox News, either as a guest or to come and phone in to try to get free airtime. The channel has, of course, widely embraced Donald Trump, uh, both as a candidate and later as president. Uh, what John Bolton has been doing uh, during Donald Trump's presidency is effectively using the network as a way to audition for a role within the administration. Um, he was not appointed uh, at the outset uh, of Donald Trump's presidency. Uh, if you remember, there was a, a sense that there were various adults in the room who were appointed to the highest levels of the American national security infrastructure. Mm. Uh, Rex Tillerson, as Secretary of State, for example, um, people like uh, uh, Jim Mattis, uh, who was uh, uh, the, uh, the Defense Secretary. Uh, later on, we saw H.R. McMaster, for example, come in uh, to replace the disgraced Michael Flynn in the National Security Advisor's office. Once those adults in the room were effectively removed from office by the President, uh, you saw a, a scramble uh, to fill those positions, and very clearly, John Bolton realized that uh, an, a position may well open up, and, and he was uh, routinely on Fox News advocating a very hardline approach to nations such as Iran, for which he's always had a hankering to, uh, to destroy, it would appear, uh, and North Korea, which likewise he has a long history of antagonistic relationships with. So uh, he successfully auditioned and was appointed uh, National Security Advisor. Um, it was a, 
a tumultuous uh, term and his dealings with foreign leaders as well as President Trump's uh, interaction with foreign leaders is, is detailed quite nicely in his new text which of course uh, as you might imagine uh, heralds his own role uh, within the Trump administration mm. uh, whilst attacking uh, the approach adopted by President Trump. In your opinion as a uh renowned analyst of grand strategy what impact to bolton's revelations here have on u.s foreign policy and u.s standing in the world it's important to remember that this book um is contentious not only for its content uh, but also for the fact that it exists at all uh, the trump administration has sued john bolton in an attempt to prevent its publication mm. Uh, indeed, as recently as last weekend, uh, the DOJ, the Department of Justice, uh, launched a final rearguard action uh, in front of a judge to uh, prevent it from being published. Uh, the judge at that point said, well, it's a little bit late for this. Uh, the press have already got copies of this. Indeed, members of the press were standing on the White House lawns with advanced copies reading from it, asking questions to the White House press secretary with regard to its validity. So uh, the cat was already out of the bag. Within the, uh, the pages of this book, uh, we hear uh, various uh, escapades from within uh, Donald Trump's uh, presidency with regard to uh, interactions with foreign leaders, including Theresa May at that point, President Xi uh, from China, as well as uh, colourful anecdotes with regard to Donald Trump's interactions with people like Mike Pompeo, his Secretary of State, for example, mm. his Attorney General, all of which appear to suggest uh, that Donald Trump as president is walking a very fine line with regard to legality and appropriateness in terms of what it is that he is asking his uh, subordinates to do and favours he is asking of foreign leaders. At one point, I note, uh, he told the uh, Turkish president Erdogan uh, not to worry with regard to uh, the prosecutors in the Southern District of New York, uh, that they will be fixed and replaced. Well, of course, um, since that was written uh, and in the very week that the book was published, we have seen the Trump administration move very much against uh, the, uh, uh, the legal team in the Southern District mm. uh, of New York, uh, not for the first time during his time in office. Uh, We've heard uh, anecdotes, for example, asking Theresa May if indeed England, Great Britain was a nuclear power, uh, which of course I should point out it is. Um, <laughs> Thank you, James. Just, yeah. just, just in case anybody was uh, was missing that point, uh, and those of you who know, uh, you are more uh, knowledgeable on this subject than the President of the United States. Um, the bottom line from the text is uh, John Bolton's uh, conclusion, and I'm going to quote here, I'm hard-pressed to identify any significant Trump decision during my tenure that wasn't driven by re-election calculations. Um, and this, I think, cuts to the heart of the, uh, the allegation against Donald Trump uh, that U.S. foreign policy was being manipulated very much uh, to ensure the president's re-election. Mm. Um, it would, of course, be naive for anybody to think that presidents, when they are contemplating decisions, didn't have some degree of uh, political calculation at heart. I think the question here, and certainly the allegation is, is that all those previous um, presidents' efforts pale into significance uh, compared to Donald Trump's uh, calculated efforts to make sure that every decision made with regard to foreign policy would have a domestic um, impact 
all geared up to help him win election come November. Let's pull out some of the characteristics you mentioned there and uh, elaborate further. The uh, president's personal relationships versus actions uh, taken in the national interest and the sense that such books as Bolton's bring with them legal jeopardies, shall we say. Uh, In the history of such close-to-the-president-authored books. I remember Christopher Buckley, for example, suggesting they always possessed a, an alliterative tricolon for a title, uh, Power, Politics and Parking Spaces, for example. Uh, give us some historical context on such tomes, please. You know, the, the presidency, as I've routinely advised my, my students in the past, is a very personal office, and each president approaches the office in a unique fashion. Uh, all presidents have to forge strong working relationships with foreign leaders uh, to make things happen, quite frankly. And Donald Trump is the consummate deal maker, uh, the uh, author uh, of The Art of the Deal, as he uh, constantly likes to remind everybody, um, is someone who you would have imagined would have had very warm relations with leaders around the world. Uh, Very clearly, he has some very interesting ideas about who it is that he believes the United States should be allied with and uh, has cozied up to some very interesting individuals such as, for example, President Xi, uh, Vladimir Putin and uh, President Erdogan of, uh, of Turkey, not necessarily America's most obvious allies, it must be said. Hmm. Um, these relationships are all revealed in Bolton's book. Um, it is a fascinating um, publication for many reasons. Uh, we've seen other individuals try to publish books in the past. Uh, in the late 1970s, the uh, CIA director under Jimmy Carter, Stansfield Turner, for example, attempted to get a memoir out of his time in office. That took some two years to get approval. Um, Jim Mattis, uh, the former defense secretary under uh, Donald Trump, successfully managed to get his book out uh, uh, in the last year or so. But of mm. course, that didn't make any great reference to the, the Trump administration. Um, one book that uh, some people might remember is a text called No Easy Day, uh, which was written by uh, the uh, chap who led the, the raid uh, that killed Osama bin Laden. Oh, yes. And uh, whilst that came out and the, uh, the, the author, uh, Matt Bissonnette, made a, a large amount of money at the time, um, some almost $7 million, mm. because he hadn't achieved and acquired the clearance to publish that book, which of course neither has John Bolton, uh, he was later sued by the government and had to forfeit all, monings, all, all earnings that he had made from the book and of course the related speeches. So whilst John Bolton has managed to get his text and his book out into the public domain, there is at this point no guarantee that he'll be able to uh, retain his uh, his earnings uh, that he will make from this, which I guess will uh, be of some comfort perhaps to uh, the Trump administration. Uh, but of course, by that point, the, um, the details which John Bolton has chosen to share with the world will already be out there. I hear Democrats considering what else in Bolton's book might constitute an impeachable offence this weekend. Uh, we're all familiar by now with Ukrainian quid pro quos and otherwise, uh, and Democrats are looking for more from this book, saying it's crucial that they get the information they're in out to the nation ASAP. But 
after all that's happened in Trump's first term, what difference could it possibly make? Uh, for example, I also know uh, otherwise Democratic voters uh, who are saying that they they can't go anywhere near voting for Biden in November. So of all of the attempts and chances that the Democrat Party have had to prevent a Trump second term, is there really anything that makes Bolton's uh, intel in this case uh, of different value? This book has been controversial for many, many reasons, uh, not least of which is the fact that John Bolton uh, was asked to testify ahead of and in front of uh, the Senate committee investigating the potential impeachment of Donald Trump. Uh, he refused to appear voluntarily. Uh, he suggested that he would appear if subpoenaed. The Republicans who controlled uh, that process refused to subpoena John Bolton, uh, ensuring that the contents of this book and anything that might have impacted um, Donald Trump's impeachment uh, were not presented uh, at that time. Mm. Many people, uh, particularly on the left, uh, have decried John Bolton for doing so. Um, therefore, the biggest impact that the contents of this book could have had would have come at the beginning of the year uh, during any impeachment process. Mm. Um, now, with some four or five months to go before the election in November, the question is, well, is there anything in this book which really is a game changer? I have to say that what it does is to continue a process. We've seen throughout Donald Trump's presidency that for a president who, uh, by most people's reckoning, is not a, a big reader, to put it mildly, uh, his administration has uh, ensured a, a spike uh, in the publication field here in the United States. This book is merely the latest in a long line of texts which have come out, um, all of which all of which tell the same story of a disengaged president uh, who doesn't work very hard, appears to just want to play golf as and when possible, uh, is not well informed, uh, is not well served by the uh, uh, individuals he has chosen to surround himself with. And as a result, we find ourselves today in a position where Joe Biden appears to be some 17 points in the lead heading for what many people think will be an easy victory in November. Mm. Um, however, we have seen Democrats in similar positions before. Uh, just four years ago, of course, Hillary Clinton was apparently coasting to victory with a, a solid lead, uh, which of course crumbled uh, right upon election day. Uh, going back to 1988, uh, the former governor of this fine state of Massachusetts, Michael Dukakis, was similarly in a double-digit lead uh, as late as Labor Day, heading into the opening of the general election process, and still managed to uh, blow that lead uh, and lose the election to President to George H.W. Bush. So mm. uh, the only poll that matters, of course, is when Americans vote on election day in November. Uh, and until then, quite frankly, uh, all bets are off as to the impacts of this book uh, and uh, the outcome of the next presidential election. That's it for this week's American Chronicle. And with thanks as ever to you, our listeners, to James and to Chris Warner for our theme tune. I hereby give due notice that next week's 15th episode of The Chronicle will be the last in the present season with an outstanding return planned for September, which will see James and I detail the closing throws of the presidential election process in the run-up 
to a planned live stream broadcast of the American Chronicle on election night itself. Until next Monday then, good luck as ever and ever onward to you all.